What a joy to sing together of the impact, of the importance of heaven having come down to us. That is through the birth of Christ, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection and ascension, that we have the hope of having our sins forgiven through the death of Christ. Friends, let me ask you this morning, do you think the truth about the incarnation of Christ, his virgin birth, is important for the Christian faith? Well, think about that question as we open Scripture. Think about that question as we open Scripture and invite you to do so at the book of John, chapter 6. We'll be reading from verse 35 to uh, verse 43. And as you open there, by the way, if you uh, did not bring your Bible, uh, we encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chair in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 892. As we, as we prepare our hearts for the reading of God's Word, I encourage you to keep this question in mind. Is the truth about the incarnation of Christ, His virgin birth, important for the Christian faith? Today we are taking a detour, if you will, from our sermon series in the book of Acts. Next week we'll be back in the book of Acts. But today um, we want to set, look and consider the importance of the incarnation through this passage that Jesus uh, is speaking to us and uh, to the Jews he's encountering. Let's hear the word of the Lord for our hearts. Jesus said to them, namely to the, the Jews that were listening to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now Say, I have come down from heaven. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him, he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. I, I end up reading a few more verses. As we're so caught up in the way Jesus addressed the Jews. Well, let's pray to the Father 
for this word that he has given to us, for a word for our own hearts, that he might speak to us, that he might encourage us, that he might engage us through the preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Gracious Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son to come from heaven to earth to reveal to us who you are, to reveal to us your will, the will that you have given for your Son to accomplish, the will that you have given for us to respond to by believing in your Son. Father, we pray that you would use this word, you would use a preaching of this word to hear your voice for us now in fresh ways. We pray this through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of Christ. Amen. So let me repeat again the question I encourage you to consider. Is the truth about the incarnation of Christ, his virgin birth, important for the Christian faith? Now let me clarify something. It may be possible for someone to come to believe in Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God who became man in order to take away the sins of those who repent of their sins and follow Christ by faith. Someone may come to believe this about Jesus and embrace him through repentance and faith without knowing all the details about what the Bible reveals about the incarnation of Jesus. It's possible. But once they read and hear what the Bible reveals about the incarnation of Christ, can someone deny it and still have a saving faith in Christ? Can someone believe in Christ and be saved while denying that Christ came down from heaven to earth? Is the virgin birth of Christ, is the incarnation of Christ important for the Christian faith? In the last two centuries, there have been increasing attempts to say, that the incarnation of Christ is not a major truth of, significance, of significant importance. Let me give you some examples of what that, how that is preached and what you will typically hear from people who, who follow this trend. And I want, to, I want us to, be, to, be, to, be, to understand the reality that the, the, the incarnation of Christ is no longer a doctrine that is cherished as important or as significant or as a center of the main truths of Christianity. I want you to be aware of that. I don't want you to be naive or sort of live in a gullible bubble that everyone sort of should take it for granted. Everyone, naming every Christian, uh, takes it for granted that the birth of Christ is actually true. I want you to I want to give some examples of this. I'm going to start with the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, a pretty well-known preacher at that time by the name of Harry Emerson Fosdick, who preached at the beginning of the 20th century in the pulpit of the First Presbyterian Church of New York City, wrote a book called 
Shall Fundamentalists Win? In this book, he claimed that Christians could disagree on whether or not the virgin birth could be historically true. Quote, In the evangelical churches, there is a group of equally loyal and reverent people who would say that the virgin birth is not to be accepted as a historic fact. Equally loyal and reverent. Interesting. Fosdick divided the church in two camps. Those whom he labeled fundamentalists believe that the virgin birth was a historical fact. The other camp, which he called the enlightened Christians, no longer believe the Bible to be true and discard this biological miracle, but still consider themselves to be Christians. This impression that Fosdick gave um, continues to be with us today in our own very city. The University Presbyterian Church in downtown Austin, in a sermon preached last year, 2013, addressed various questions that students posed, and uh, the pastor chose to take those questions one by one and, and deal with them. And one of the questions posed by one of the students which a pastor addressed in a sermon, was this. Can't we affirm our faith in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit without having to embrace the doctrine of the virgin birth? This was a question the student posed, to which the pastor's reply in that sermon was this. The answer is clearly yes. He said, the question was, can't we affirm our faith in God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit without having to embrace a doctrine of the virgin birth? The answer is clearly yes. In the New Testament, only the Gospels of Matthew and Luke record the virgin birth of Jesus. Mark and John tell the story of Jesus without it. Paul, in his numerous letters, never mentions it. Thus, we might suggest to our student that she is quite free to reject a literal interpretation of the virgin birth and still be in the mainstream of Christian belief. End of quote. As if we could discard the witness of the two Gospels who wrote clearly on the virgin birth and still be within mainline Christian belief. Uh, but don't think this is just about other denominations. I want to bring to you an example from Baptist life. Cecile Sherman, a Baptist, Stated, quote, A teacher who might also be led by the Scripture not to believe in the virgin birth should not be fired. In other words, if you have a teacher teaching in a Christian school and that teacher is led by the Bible to deny the virgin birth, we should continue to pay him to teach our children and students. May I say he was a Southern Baptist who then um, was the first coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. He's no longer Southern Baptist, but he moved on to be the coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, an organization still supported by our state convention. So I want to bring to you the reality. I want to bring these examples to show that the incarnation of Christ 
today continues to be pushed to the sidelines. I wonder what remains main in mainline Christianity if we put to the sidelines such main truths as a virgin birth. I thought, ironically, this week, shouldn't we call that sideline Christianity? So, is the incarnation of Christ important, and why? The Bible would have many answers. We could spend a long time talking about why the importance of, of the incarnation is so pivotal for our Christian faith. But this morning, as we look at John 6, I want us to look just at two reasons, two reasons from this passage why the incarnation of Christ is of significance and of, of major importance. The first one, because Jesus himself spoke about it and rebuked the Jews for grumbling against it. It's a long reason. If you like taking notes, here it is again. Because Jesus himself spoke about it and rebuked the Jews for grumbling against it. Uh, those who say that John says nothing about the incarnation of Christ clearly have not considered this passage carefully or have tried to rule out that this passage actually speaks about the incarnation. Let's look at this passage. In John 6, our passage, Jesus himself gets into an argument with the Jews about his origins. If you read the whole chapter, the phrase of coming down from heaven is spoken, is on the lips of Jesus five times, and is on the lips of the Jews two more times because they quote Jesus' words as an objection. When, we, when Jews quote Jesus' claim, they do it because they object to it. They have a hard time believing that Jesus actually claims this about himself. Look at verse 41 in our passage. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, why did they grumble about that? This passage doesn't say specifically or explicitly or that phrase doesn't say explicitly uh, Jesus' uh, incarnation, if you will. But when you read verse 42, it's clear that this is what the Jews understood Jesus to say. Because this is why they have a part, hard time with the claim that Jesus came down from heaven. Look at verse 42. What exactly was their difficulty? They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Friends, do you see what the Jews are stumbling over? Do you see how the Jews understand Jesus to mean? They clearly understand Jesus to claim that somehow he is from God, that he is, is from heaven in a literal way. And their stumbling block is he has a father. They, they didn't know the details the actual, de the biological details of the incarnation. We know that the answer for that, those details are given to us in, in passages like the one written, uh, read earlier uh, in our service. In Matthew 1, 20, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to, make, to take Mary as your wife, for what, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Or think of Mary's own self reflection 
Mary, when she is engaged, uh, where she's, uh, she, she meets the angel, she's still engaged, and the angel tells her what, what will happen to her. And Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, in a very literal way. Now look at how Jesus responded to the Jewish people. Jesus rebuked them. Do not grumble among yourselves, verse 43. And in verse 36 earlier, Jesus said, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Do you see where Jesus puts the, where Jesus puts the blame, what the problem is? Their problem is not that they lack the details about the virgin birth. Their problem was they lacked the faith to believe in what Jesus spoke about his incarnation, his descent from heaven. The, the grumbling of these Jews had about the incarnation was caused not by lack of details, but by lack of faith. Even though they have seen Jesus and they have seen his miracles. Oh, friends, here's the truth we must recognize and, and realize. The truth about the incarnation of Jesus can be grasped and embraced by faith in Christ. And this is not a blind faith. This is not just sort of a leap of faith into something that's blind. We don't know what we're leaping into. It's a faith based on the fact that we actually trust what Jesus claimed about himself. We actually take Jesus' word to be true. <laughs> Jesus said later in, in chapter 6, verse uh, 63, and, and here's why we take his words to be true. Jesus said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words of Jesus. But there are some of you who do not believe, Jesus said to the crowd. Believing the words of Jesus about his incarnation is not just an insignificant matter over which we can agree to disagree. Not believing the words of Jesus about himself is caused by not believing truly in Jesus. Do you see how the connection, how the link between believing in Jesus and believing his words are, are tied together? When we fail to believe the words of Jesus, we actually fail to believe Jesus. The second reason why our faith is not blind is because our faith is, is, is based on the rest of what the Bible claims about Jesus. Well, the prophets of the Old Testament foretold many centuries before have been fulfilled in what the gospel writers have written in detail about the birth of Christ. The fulfillment of prophecy is not a blind faith, friends. There's genuine and solid reason to believe it. To choose to grumble about the incarnation of Jesus is evidence of lack of faith. Lack of faith in what Christ claimed about himself Lack of faith in what God revealed to us through His Word, the Bible. Friends, how can we trust the Bible in anything else if we choose to distrust what it says about the incarnation of Jesus? If we choose to distrust the details of Matthew and Luke, why would we believe everything else? Why would we, we believe that there is hope in the face of death if we choose to distrust what the Bible says about the word, the, about Christ becoming, coming down and becoming incarnate. 
Friends, because the truth of Christ's incarnation is increasingly placed to the sidelines, it is important for us to be aware of this danger. So what should you do about this danger? What can you do? Well, one thing is, first of all, to check a church's statement of faith. Do they affirm the virgin birth of Christ? If a statement of faith does not mention it, if a statement of faith is silent about it, find out why. Is it because they deny it or is it because they think it's not important? I want to remind you, one of the leaders of the ecumenical movement in Britain about 20 years ago um, said the following, doctrinal correctness matters little to God and labels matter less. Honesty, openness, and sincere searching for truth, on the other hand, matter a great deal. St. Peter will not be asking us at the pearly gates which church we belong to or whether we believe the virgin birth. Friends, sincerity in searching the truth while denying it at the same time is no virtue. And honesty, openness, and sincere searching was never a pass for heaven in the Bible. Never. People can sincerely search for the truth and deny the truth. Reject it. The truth revealed in the Bible matters to God because he inspired it to be written. So look at the church's statement of faith about what they believe from the Bible. Do they believe everything it is written? But just because a church does have a correct statement of faith, it's still not enough. Here's what I want to alert you. Still not enough. I mean, look for it, but it's not enough. You actually need to inquire and see, do they uphold it? In other words, some people might just settle for having a document that they never go back to. They don't no longer believe, but it's still there. Ask, do they uphold it? Find out if the truths of Christ's incarnation are, are, are upheld in the teaching ministry of the church. Friend, if you're visiting us this morning, we're so glad, first of all, that you're with us. If you belong to another denomination or, or another, another church, perhaps it's a denomination who says it's a non-denominational church. That's okay as well. Uh, regardless of the background you're coming from, one thing I'd encourage you, go back and, and ask and inquire, does the denomination or non-denomination you belong to claim the truth about the virgin birth of Christ? Does a church you belong to or have attended in the past, do they claim this? Does the pastoral leadership teach that truth? Ask and find out because it is important. Don't treat this truth as unimportant or as a seasonal, optional truth of Scripture. And so far, we've considered the fact that the incarnation of Jesus is important. It's important because Jesus himself spoke about it. And Jesus himself rebuked the Jews for grumbling against it. And we can take that at its face value. We should continue that kind of attitude. And we should take cues from Jesus as, as he looks as peop at people who grumble at this truth. But the second reason why the incarnation is important, the second reason why the incarnation of Christ is important, it's because of its purpose. Because of its purpose. Why did Jesus come down to earth? Scripture has several answers to that question as well. I will only look at the answers that are given to us in this passage. 
And the answer in, in one line would be this. And that answer actually has two parts. But here's the one-line answer. Why? What is the purpose for which Jesus came down from heaven to earth? Look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Did you hear that? This answer is like an anchor or like a hook on which Jesus ties the purpose of his incarnation. Jesus came, and and this is one of few places where Jesus speaks clearly, explicitly about his incarnation. Jesus came down from heaven to do the will of his Father. In other words, the incarnation happened so that Jesus might execute God's plan and will. The purpose of the incarnation is aimed at God first. The purpose of the incarnation is directed at God first. Christ was born in order to do the will of his Father, which he had towards us. The will of God towards us, Jesus came to fulfill, to accomplish, to execute. When Paul speaks about the incarnation of Christ, yes, Paul speaks about the incarnation of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. He says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Friends, here's what we must realize about the incarnation of Christ, that apart from Christ's commitment to obey his Father and to do his will, our salvation would have been in great jeopardy. Jesus didn't fulfill what he came to do just because he liked us or because he loved us. I mean, he did love us. There's no question about that. But there is an even greater foundation behind that love. It's the obedience between the members, the connection, the covenant between the members of the Trinity and the obedience the Son had towards the Father. It was an unbroken obedience. And Jesus came to obey what the Father has willed and has given the Son to do towards us. Friends, our salvation was made possible because of this obedience of Christ towards His Father. That's why when we consider the incarnation of Christ, we should reflect at the greater unity, at the greater devotion between the members of the triune God. Friends, this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is important. We could not have the doctrine of incarnation without the doctrine of the Trinity. We couldn't. It's a, it's a perfect obedience of the eternal Son to His eternal Father that undergirds the plan of salvation. But what is the will of the Father which Jesus came to accomplish? Two answers to that question. The two subpoints of this, of this is the following. First, look at verse 39. And by the way, before you look there, both of these answers of what is the will of the Father that Jesus came to accomplish, both of the answers point to our resurrection. 
to give you a cue about that. Look at verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The will of the Father is that Christ would raise up on the last day all those whom God has given to Christ. Christ came down from heaven to earth in order to raise up the sons of earth. Why is this a big deal? Because as Paul reminds us in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. But this is why Christ came down to earth, so he could resurrect God's people on the last day. Friend, when was the last time that you reflected on the meaning and significance of Christmas by thinking about and looking forward to the resurrection day? Think of the people in your life whom God has called home, people who, have, who belong to Christ. Some of those callings have happened fairly recently, so holidays like this also bring experience of, of tears and pain, remembering that our loved ones, our dear ones, are no longer with us. Well, friends, Christ was born so that those who belong to Christ will be resurrected on the last day. What a joy. What a hope. This is the reason why Christ was born. He came down from heaven to earth so that we can look forward to be reunited with those who belong to Christ. Friends, if we don't look forward to the resurrection day, we're missing out on the thrill and appreciation of Christ's birth. If you don't look forward to the resurrection day, we're missing out on the thrill and the appreciation of Christ's birth. Jesus emphasized not just the reality of our future resurrection, but Jesus emphasizes the reality that he will lose none of those whom the Father has given him. This verse assures us that God's elect are those whom God has given to Christ. They will persevere. You know why? Because, God, because Christ will not lose any of them along the way. This brings us such a great joy and hope. Think about it. Those whom the Father has given to Christ, those who belong to Christ, oh friend, Christ will not lose. Praise God. Let your assurance be this, that Christ will not lose his elect, not one of them. And people may say, well, yes, please say amen to that. That's good. People sometimes may say, well, hold on. What if, what if I'm... What if I'm not God's elect? Friends, that is a wrong question. It's a wrong question because of the second part of God's will. Look at verse 40. Look at verse 40, the second part of God's will. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believed in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Our preoccupation should not be with, uh, to inquire whether or not we are elect, but whether or not we are believing in Christ, responding to him in faith and repentance. That should be our preoccupation. Friend, God does not require of you election, but faith in Christ. It is true. Now, it is true that our election by God is the root of our salvation. After all, this is the will 
for which Christ was sent to earth to accomplish it. But our faith is proof of that election. If you have not believed, today is a day when you can come to Christ, believing that He came down from heaven to give life to those who are dead in their sin. Friend, if that is you, if you see yourself dead in sin, come to Christ to give you life. He is a bread of life who came down from heaven to earth to give life to those who come to Him. In verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father give, has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. There is no election without a response to Christ. Those whom God has given to Christ will come to Him. Oh, friend, that whoever, whoever comes to me, that whoever can be you as well. Don't think that you have run too far away from God. If you can come, if you come to Christ, He will not cast you out. Actually, your response to Christ and faith in Him is evidence that God has given you to Christ. It is God who can enable you to believe and come to Christ because God has given His elect to Christ. So those who come to Christ belong to Christ, and they, Christ will never cast them out. I love how uh, John Calvin quoted on this passage. He said, Madmen are those who seek their salvation in the whirlpool of predestination, not keeping the way of salvation which is exhibited to them. To every man, his faith is a sufficient proof of the eternal election of God. So the purpose of Christ's incarnation, His coming down from heaven, has been to obey the will of His Father. And the will of God for Christ is described in these two ways. The will of God for Christ was to resurrect all those whom the Father has given to Christ, and it will happen. And the will of God for Christ was to resurrect all those who look on the Son and believe in Him. Throughout this passage, throughout this passage, Jesus speaks about this language of coming down from heaven to earth. He speaks about Him, but He also speaks about us. And the way He speaks about us is through this language of coming to Him, believing on Him, looking on to Him. Friend, this is why Christ came down from heaven to earth, to call you and I, and the people of the earth to come to Him, to believe in Him. The incarnation of Christ is important because Jesus Himself spoke about it. It's important because of its purpose. If, if you are a Christian, I pray that these truths will send a thrill of joy through your heart as you consider the importance of Christ's birth. Christ came to accomplish fully, without any margin of error, without any possibility of error, Christ came to accomplish the will of His Father, to take from the earth, from death, those whom God has given to Christ and be able to call us to Him. Friend, how sad that today people still find a stumbling block in the truth of Christ coming down from heaven to earth. Perhaps we shouldn't be surprised why people still reject it. To this audience, Jesus spoke and said, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. You remember Thomas a doubter at the end of the gospel? 
he could not believe Jesus' resurrection. He said, unless I believe, I, I, unless I see, I won't believe. So Jesus appears to him and says, Thomas, Thomas, bring your hand and put it to my side. And, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen, you believe. It's the opposite of what, these Jew, what he told these Jews. You have seen and have not believed. To Thomas, he said, you have seen and finally you believed. But then Jesus said something powerful. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friend, is this you this Christmas? I pray so. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, we praise your holy name because indeed what you have revealed to us through your Son, Jesus, can be grasped by us through faith, by taking the words of Jesus at its value, trusting that what you have revealed about yourself is indeed true. Oh, Lord, we pray, would you grant this faith to more and more of us? And to those of us who have received it, we pray that you would increase it so that we may rejoice in the hope, that we may rejoice in the certainty, that we may rejoice in, your, in the mystery of your providence, that indeed what you have determined will happen. And Lord, that what you have determined to happen, you call us to respond. Lord, we pray, would you be exalted among us and call people to the Lord Jesus through faith and repentance. And may we be a people who make that news public and known around us. Oh Lord, we pray that we might be people who show and are clear about the importance of Christ's descent, his incarnation among us. We pray that you would be exalted in the name of Christ. Amen.